We're in the midst of a study on spiritual gifts, and if this is your uh, first time here, you're right in the middle of the study, and we're glad that you're here for that. Uh, Today we're going to talk about the gift of tongues. Uh, That is perhaps the biggest question that usually arises concerning spiritual gifts is, well, what about the gift of tongues? Uh, and if it is your first time, I would, I would really ask you to go to our website and get the previous two lessons that we've done so far. You can listen to them or you can read them. Uh, West Palm Beach, churchofchrist.com. They're sitting, sitting there and you can uh, catch yourself back up to speed. Uh, and we're even happy to make you a free CD that you can listen to those as well. Uh, last week we talked about the gift of prophecy. And we've observed that what the Bible describes concerning these gifts is not what you see going on in the world around us. Uh, And that should be really important to our eyes and to our faith. Paul wrote this letter, in particular this section, he tells us in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 1, that he don't want you to be uninformed. And to recognize, verse 2, that the things of the Spirit are not like what they had observed in their pagan ways and in their idolatrous worship. The way the Spirit operates and works is not what they had encountered before. And then from verse 7 to verse 11, as was read for us this morning, morning, Paul gives a list of the various gifts. It's not an exhaustive list, but many of the gifts are listed there that are given by the Spirit. And we're going to zero in there on verse 10, where it talks about to another of various kinds of tongues and to another the interpretation of tongues. Then the first thing that we have to ask was, well, what are those? What are we talking about here? What is the scriptures talking about when it says that there was the gift of tongues and the interpretation? Interpretation of tongues. And, and to begin, before we move through the scriptures and show what this looked like in the New Testament, I'm going to take a quotation from a pretty well-known scholar in the Christian world. His name is, is Wayne Gruden. He's written a book called Systematic Theology. And if it's Systematic Theology, it's usually about that thick. And it talks about anything you could ever want to possibly not talk about about the Bible in, in that book. Every little possible thing. And the reason why I'm going to use him is because he is a continuationist, which means he thinks the miraculous spiritual gifts are still going. And that's what I've wanted to be fair to you in this study is not, I'll quote, all the guys who uh, have their guns out shooting it all up, but well, let's look at how they define it, and I want you to see that they will agree that what is going on in the present world is not what the Bible describes to be tongues. Here's what Wayne Grudem writes in his the Systematic Theology concerning this. He says, It should be said at the outset that the Greek word glossia, translated tongue, is not used only to mean the physical tongue in the person's mouth, but also to mean language. In the New Testament passages where speaking in tongues is discussed, the meaning languages is certainly in view. It is unfortunate, therefore, that English translations have continued to use the phrase speaking in tongues, which is an expression not otherwise used in ordinary English and which gives the impression of a strange experience, something completely foreign to ordinary human life. But if English translations were to use the expression speaking in languages, it would not seem nearly as strange. 
and would give the reader a sense much closer to what first century Greek-speaking readers would have heard in the phrase when they read it in Acts or 1 Corinthians. And he believes that miraculous spiritual gifts are today. And I would just point that out and say, he's exactly right. When you use the phrase speaking in tongues, that immediately seems to conjure into our minds something of mystery, of intrigue. It's something that, ooh, I don't know what that is. But when you understand that it just means speaking in languages, that peels back a lot of the intrigue and the mystery. In fact, you might have a translation that actually renders it that way. The Holman Christian Standard, it says of verse 10, to another different kinds of languages and to another the interpretation of languages. And the New Living Translation does the same thing, just speak in unknown languages. That is all that word means. The gift of tongues was simply the ability for a person to speak in another language in which they previously had not been trained. That's all that means. The ability to speak in another language in which you had not been trained. So if I started speaking Russian right now, I have not had one drop of Russian training. That would be that ability to speak in another language of earth. And that's what Wayne Grudem even describes. Now, the scriptures even show us that very thing. In Acts chapter 2, that's probably the greatest place where we see the example of speaking in tongues. Acts chapter 2, the apostles are gathered together in the upper room. The Holy Spirit falls upon them. And it tells us there in Acts 2 verse 4, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues. And just observing those two translations, languages, that's all that word means. They began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. And verse 6 proves that that's what was happening. And at this sound, the multitudes came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. There's no indication anywhere in the Scriptures that speaking in tongues was something other than speaking another person's language of earth. That it was not gibberish. It was not something that was unrecognizable to any language of the earth. That's not how the New Testament ever pictures it. Notice verse 6 of Acts, 4 on the, of Acts 2 on the screen. Why were they bewildered? Because there was so much gibberish going on by the twelve apostles, they thought they were crazy. No. They were bewildered, it says, because they heard them speak in their own language. And they were confused by that because if you keep reading, it's going to say, are these not Galileans? We know these guys didn't go to super university school who can speak all of these languages. How is this happening? They are speaking earthly languages. They are speaking languages that were recognizable by other speakers of the earth. Another scholar, uh, Garland, in his commentary, who also is, a, I think, a somewhat of a continuation, he says, language 
is the most natural meaning of the Greek word and best explains how tongues can be differentiated into various kinds. And what he's referring to, come put your eyes back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10. And notice Paul's description there, right in the middle of that verse, it says, and to another various kinds of tongues. What he's saying is, the only sense that makes is that the gifts that were given was the ability to speak in all kinds of languages. It can't be saying all kinds of gibberish. Why would there be all kinds of gibberish? There would just be one gibberish. How is there all kinds? And so that's all it's say- he's saying is to for Paul to say that there were all kinds of languages is the only thing that makes sense. They were had the ability to speak in languages that they were not trained in. Now, I'm going to use one more fellow. I highly respect D.A. Carson. Uh, in our John study, he is the first writer I turn to for any question I have. This guy is uh, off the scale of super smart. And I'm going to quote him for the same reason I quoted Grudem. He also is a continuationist, and he thinks the gifts are still today. And I want you to listen to what he says. He wrote a whole book called Showing the Spirit. And it's his commentary on 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. And though he thinks miraculous spiritual gifts continue today, notice his observations about what he observes in tongue speaking. And that's a variety of quotes that I'll give you. He says, I shall discuss Acts 2 in the last chapter, and he's speaking of his book. But for the moment, I must merely register my conviction that what Luke describes at Pentecost are real, known, human languages. More careful word studies have shown that in none of the texts adduced by Beam or the standard lexica does glossia ever denote non-cognitive utterance. Beam is a a real famous Greek lexicon guy. Who cares? Point he's making is, of all the smart guys about Greek, no one has ever deduced that this word glossia, referencing tongues, ever refers to non-cognitive utterances. He believes there's miraculous spiritual gifts of speaking in tongues today. I just want you to understand, but notice what he's saying. Speaking in tongues is not that. Speaking in tongues, in Acts 2, he says, was always real, known human languages. He goes on to say, On the balance, then, the evidence favors the view that Paul thought the gift of tongues was a gift of real languages. And that is, languages that were cognitive, whether of angels or of men. We'll talk about 1 Corinthians 13.1, where he uses that, where Paul uses that phrase in about two weeks. He goes on. To my knowledge, there is universal agreement among linguists who have taped and analyzed thousands of examples of modern tongue speaking that the contemporary phenomenon is not any human language. He says of all the work that has been done since 1901, when this kind of began, of all this speaking in tongues thing, he says of all the studies that have been done, None of them represent what the New Testament describes, which is real human languages. No one is ever doing that. And this is powerful from, A, a guy who thinks this goes on. And then I found this to be absolutely fascinating. 
He says, what about the contemporary gift of interpretation? You'll notice in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 10, it says a variety of kinds of tongues and to another the interpretation of the tongues. He says, what about the contemporary gift of interpretation? A few years ago, a friend of mine attended a charismatic service and rather cheekily recited some of John 1, 1 through 18 in Greek as his contribution to speaking in tongues. By the way, that's just really cool. He could just speak John 1, 1 through 18 off the top of his head in Greek. Wow. Okay, me. <laughs> so that's what he, he sits in a service and he speaks those 18 verses in the Greek language. He says, immediately there was an interpretation that bore no relation whatsoever to the Johannine prologue. Two people with the gift of interpretation have on occasion been asked to interpret the same recorded tongue messages and the resulting different and conflicting interpretations have been justified on the grounds that God gives different interpretations to different people. That is preposterous. And if the interpretations are wildly dissimilar because it would force us to conclude that there is no unequivocal or univocal uh, cognitive content to the tongues themselves. So he says, we've sat in and said Greek and the interpretations have not matched. And when interpretations are even given, those the interpretations of what was said don't even match. And that's not what's in the New Testament. This is a guy who thinks this is still happening today. One more. He says, more commonly, at least in my experience, triteness triumphs. Interpretations prove to be as stereotyped, vague, and uninformative as they are spontaneous, fluid, and confident. That's right. We talked about that last week with the gift of prophecy. Those who seem to have the gift of prophecy more often than not do something very vague. And he says those who believe that they have this gift, what we see going on around us is something that is vague and not what the New Testament describes. And so here is just a point from taking all of those quotations. Even honest continuationists, people who believe that miraculous spiritual gifts continue today, recognize that what is passed off as speaking in tongues currently in other churches around this country and around the world is not what we read in the scriptures. I gave you two highbrow scholars who believe in the miraculous speaking of tongues and said what they have observed and witnessed and seen is not what is in the Bible. And the history of the church confirms that. We see nothing throughout the history of the church that suggests anything for the gift of tongues to be anything more than the ability to speak in another language of earth that you had not been previously trained in. That's all that we see in the New Testament. And I want you to consider between Acts 2 and this text, that's the sum total of what we get about the concept of what the gifts of tongues are. And so to go beyond the realm of earthly foreign languages is to go beyond the Bible. It's to go beyond what the scriptures describe because the instances that we see in the scriptures are human foreign languages. A miraculous ability, say, for example, that I now suddenly spoke Russian. There you go. You know I don't know Russian. You know I'm not that smart. And you'd go, wow, that's a miracle. You can do something like that. That's what that gift looked like. Now let's move forward and consider what the scriptures are telling us. Especially notice verse 11. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11. 
All these are empowered by one and same spirit. We talked about that last week, that God is the one who activates these gifts. The human, they did not activate their spiritual gifts. God activates, empowers, works the gift. Verse 11, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This is, I think, a really important concept that Paul teaches that we need to consider. What Paul says here in verse 11, and he says it again in verses 18 and 19 of this text, is that the Christian did not decide what gift they received. The Spirit decided what gift would be given. And it's not that you've got to pray to ask for a particular one. We saw that in Romans chapter 1 when the Apostle Paul said, I long to come to you, O Christians in Rome, so that I may lay my hands on you, imparting to you some spiritual gift. He didn't have a say in what gift he was going to give them. The gifts were given by the apostles laying their hands on another Christian. And here the apostle Paul writes, it is the spirit that determined who would receive what gift. Now, I think that is critically important because today what is typically said to a Christian is, well, if you don't have the gift of tongues... The reason why is because you're not spiritual enough or you're not praying enough or you don't have enough faith or some other kind of explanation. And I want you to see, according to the scriptures, that is completely incorrect. You didn't have a say as to which gift you received. And it was no litmus test of the level of your spirituality. Paul does not say, okay, Corinthians, the reason why these people have gifts is they're more spiritual than you. In fact, as we study through this text, you'll recognize quite the opposite. The problem was the people who had the gifts were saying that very thing. And he says, guess what? You're all the same. It's by the same spirit, the same activities. It is the same God who gives all of these gifts. There is no distinction at all. And one is not superior to another in that sense. Though he will say, I wish you had something better than what what you have. And he's going to say that because they were elevating tongues up here. And if you will notice in the text, you know, not as just as an aside... When you read these three chapters, notice when Paul gives the gift of tongues in the listing, he always slots it last. Because it's communicating something to this crew, because they're always putting tongues number one. And so every time he gives a list in these three chapters, he puts it at the bottom and goes, you got it in the wrong order. It is the same spirit who disperses all of these gifts. And for anyone to say, well, I have something because I'm more spiritual, I have more faith, I have something you don't have, violates directly what Paul is writing in this chapter. And it's so sad to me that that is what is portrayed as, well, this is a gift. And that is not what the scriptures just describe in the slightest. Now, since we put those two pieces together, spiritual gifts, our first lesson. Spiritual gifts were only given when apostles laid hands on another person. We saw that in our first lesson. And we're adding now here, the Spirit determined what gift the Christian would receive. Now, consider this with me. Since it is the Spirit that determines who received what gift, turn your eyes back to 1 Corinthians 12 and start in verse 8 and go all the way to verse 10. Where are all the other gifts? 
In our Wednesday night study, we noted there's usually two, maybe three, that people cling to and say that they have. Tongues, prophecy, or healing. There's a lot more in that list. Where's the rest of them? Since you don't get to decide what gift you have, and you can't will yourself to have a gift, why don't we see an equal distribution of all of these gifts? Particularly in every church, because that's how it operated. The Spirit made sure in the Corinthian church, they all had these gifts. It would be a lopsided church if everybody in there had the gift of tongues and nobody had, had the interpretation. Well, how's that going to work for you? Well, it's kind of lopsided, not going to work. That's where the Spirit made sure that there was an equal distribution so that there would be prophecy and wisdom and knowledge and discerning spirits and tongues. We need all of those gifts in this church. And yet we don't see that today. We only see usually three claimed and the other five or six completely ignored. And if the Spirit then is distributing these gifts, my question is, well, why is it not like we see in the first century? I submit to you the reason why is because the Holy Spirit isn't distributing the gift. That's why. Because humans are trying to create that they have these things, which the Scriptures do not describe. And then let me add that one step further. If the Spirit is giving these gifts today, then why don't we see what happens in Acts chapter 8? Because it seems to me this would be very important. Remember what we see in Acts chapter 8? Here's Simon. We call him Simon the Sorcerer. He thinks he's something great. Everybody in the town thinks he's something great too because he performs magic and signs. Philip comes walking in with real miracles, real signs. And everybody goes, Simon's a joker. We're all following Philip because Philip has the true power of God. And even Simon himself believes. Since all of these continuations that I've quoted all believe that miraculous spiritual gifts still exist, but say that all of these groups are not doing what the Bible says. That is not what we see in the scriptures then should we not expect the true spiritual gift workers to come in and show the false to be false? Just as what was happening all throughout the book of Acts. Every time when Paul or an apostle or those who had those gifts would walk into a town, everybody would go, oh, what you have is legitimate. And what we've been witnessing is false. We would expect to see that going on like crazy. We would expect a true prophet, a true healer, get on the TVN channel and get that joker off of there who we know is false. Everybody agrees that guy's false. Many him. Completely false. Yeah, get on there and go, no, here's what a miracle looks like. Boom. Now take care of that. That's what Philip did. That's what the apostles did. I submit to you that the reason why it's not today is because... Those gifts have ceased, which is what 1 Corinthians 13 specifically says. We'll get there. Two Sundays. Stay with me. You keep coming back. Stay with me. We're, we're working our way through. So let me draw this conclusion for you. <laughs> Number one. When you think of speaking in tongues, speaking in tongues means speaking actual foreign languages. There's nothing in the scriptures to suggest anything different. That's always what happens. And our clearest example of that is Acts 2, verses 4 through 6. 
The apostles spoke in tongues and everybody said, we hear it in our own language. That's amazing. We're hearing our own language. They're not saying we hear gibberish. What is he doing? Our own language. It was the speaking of actual foreign language. The reason that was miraculous is because the person speaking was not trained in that language. That's what made it a miracle to speak fluently. I mean, I I can give you a little Spanish. I got un poco, a little, okay? I can do a little with you. But to be able to speak it perfectly, to just be, and be untrained, that's miraculous. If somebody has no idea how to speak Chinese, suddenly go, whoa, (laughs) that's amazing. And consider why that would be so profitable in the first century as you're going out and preaching the gospel to the nations. That would have a tremendous impact and be tremendously necessary as you went from nation to nation, people to people, country to country, with the ability to speak a language that you didn't know and preach them the gospel. Oh, that would be important. And what's why we see that gift given in the first century. Let me ask you one final question. We're almost done here. You can see this is my logical brain at work. My apologies. I always go A, B, to C. If it is the Holy Spirit today moving these people to speak in tongues, these unknown, unintelligible languages, that only another person who has the gift of interpretation can interpret... Why do we have the middleman? Why don't we just bypass that? Why would the Holy Spirit have to reveal himself in something completely unintelligible, in total gibberish, that somebody else would have to come along and say, oh, well, I have the gift of the Spirit to explain that. Why wouldn't the Holy Spirit just reveal in a normal language? doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But that's how it's portrayed. The Holy Spirit speaks words that nobody understands except these one or two people who suddenly have an interpretation. Why would God work like that? I submit to you what we see instead is the Spirit revealed Himself in a language that some did understand. But interpretation was needed for the rest. Suppose we got to a point where half of this room knew English and half of this room knew Creole. All right, we're wheeling the deal Creole right now, and this side of the room's going, what is he saying? <laughs> we need an interpreter to do that. That would make sense. Holy Spirit reveals, suddenly I'm going Creole for you. Ooh, well, we need a gift of interpretation, because I don't. when we get on, you'll say, I don't know what I'm even saying. I don't know Creole either. That's what makes this a miracle. That's what was going on in the first century. Uh, suddenly, miraculous spiritual gift. I'm speaking Creole right now. I don't know a, a, a bit of Creole. That's that. We hardly can talk English together. I'm so bad at it. Uh, so I'm going through. Well, we need the gift of interpretation. We need the gift of interpretation to now speak to the rest. That's what was going on in the first century. That's why you needed interpretation. It wasn't the Holy Spirit was just speaking nonsense. And everybody sat back and went, well, God just is speaking of things we don't get. That's not it at all. That's not the imagery of the New Testament in the slightest. So I hope that will build your faith. I hope that that will dissuade you from the things that you see on television. That that is not what is in the scriptures at all. 
And even those who believe that the Spirit is still imparting gifts admit that everything that exists right now is not what is in the Bible. That what you see in churches today, they even admit that's not in the Bible. That they've even sat in and tried to offer their own and got false interpretations and false understandings. They even admit that themselves. So I hope you go back and listen to the other two lessons and see how that fits together. What the scriptures describe, the apostles were the only ones who could impart that spiritual gift to another person. That's what Paul was writing to the Romans. That's what Acts 2, even Acts 8 describes. They imparted the gift. Those gifts were determined by the Holy Spirit. You could not will what gift you received. That's the Spirit decided what gift you received. It was not a matter of your spirituality. It was not a matter of how much faith you had. God apportioned the gift and God activated the gift. When that gift was time to work, God was the one that empowered it, not the individual. That's what we see going on in the New Testament. Now, Lord willing, next week we'll take on verses 12 through 31. Bigger sections now. We'll go a little faster now through the text and we'll notice what this meant for the Corinthian church. Imagine, here's a church with all of these gifts. And we'll talk about what that means for us because we learn a lot about the Corinthian church and how we operate as God's people and how we can function as God wants us to function. So you'll put your song books now. We'll sing an invitation song. And we're inviting you to see Jesus as the one and only Savior who has given us all that we need for life and godliness. I, I, my, one of my biggest hopes, not only that this will build your faith from things that are false, but that this will encourage you to see We have everything that we need. One of the greatest blessings that God did was that he did empower the prophets and the apostles and those people. And they wrote all of that down. And you can know everything that God wants you to know if you will read his word. That is the most wonderful gift that God has given us. And don't turn and try to find, well, there's, there's nothing else out there. Right here is what God says you need. And God says, these words are living and active and powerful. They are sharper than a two-edged sword, and they will cut you right to the bone. These things will change your life. Will you let it do it? Will you let these words change your life? Will you let God change your life so that you can be a follower of Him and turn away from your sins and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins? Follow Him with all of your heart and love Him until your last breath so that you can go home to be with Him. Won't you come and belong to Jesus now? Always think and always say.